Good evening to you. Well, it's Sunday night, August 1st. Can you believe it's August 2020? August already? Well, here we are, and we are turning to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 this evening. Glad to have you joining us for the evening service at Berean Baptist Church. We're going to look at Ezekiel's calling into the ministry and find, I think, some encouraging truths tonight. While you're turning to Ezekiel chapter 1, I want to tell you a story about a man named Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was the man who at Ava, the capital of Burma, stood looking with piercing eyes at the temple of Buddha and challenged the very seat of Satan, saying, A voice mightier than mine, a still small voice, will before long sweep away every vestige of thy dominion. The churches of Jesus Christ will soon supplant or take the place of these idolatrous monuments, and the chanting devotees of Buddha will die away before the Christian's hymns of praise. Well, the words of Judson sound make him sound like a giant, but Judson was just a normal Christian of average height, strong intellect, fervent passion for the good news of the gospel, and may we have such confidence in God. When he was asked on his visit to America whether the prospects were still bright for the conversion of the lost across the world, Adoniram Judson replied, as bright, sir, as the promises of God. And at first, Judson, when he was first called into ministry, tried to get into the closed country of India to preach the gospel to the Hindus and was rejected by the East India Company. So he had many frustrations and trials, but then God opened the door to Burma. And there was not one known Christian in that land of millions, the land of Burma, and oh, so many trials and struggles. There he and his wife had a baby which died, was buried under a mango tree. The natives beat their demonic drums every night, calling the devils to ward off cholera. And for two years, Judson was persecuted, wrongfully imprisoned in a jail <clears throat> that wasn't fit for animals. And it was six long, hard years before Adoniram Judson saw even one person in Burma come to trust Jesus Christ as, as his Savior. But on June 27, 1819, Judson baptized that very first Burmese believer, Maung Nao. And Judson jotted in his journal the words, Oh, may it prove to be the beginning of a series of baptisms in the Burman Empire, which shall continue in uninterrupted succession, success, success till the end of the age. I believe that is exactly how Ezekiel felt in Babylon. When Ezekiel was taken captive into Babylon... He was surrounded by idolatry, worldliness, pagan culture. I'm sure he got to see the beautiful hanging gardens of Babylon. But he also probably saw the evil-looking sphinxes, statues of winged lions that the pagans put outside their temples and, and uh, places of worship. The, these 
sphinxes that they saw as deities or guardians of their gods. All this must have been a suffocating atmosphere of paganness to a man of God like Ezekiel. It would have made a Hebrew captive feel very small um, in that land of Nebuchadnezzar. But once Ezekiel had the great vision of Ezekiel chapter 1, of the throne room and glory of Jehovah God, I believe it confirmed to him that God was alive and triumphant, victorious, even in that heathen land of Babylon and its many gods. It's not surprising that one of the recurring themes in Ezekiel is that all the world may know that Jehovah is the Lord. That type of wording is used over 50 times. I introduce to you today a man called into a pagan culture, brought there to minister to God's rebellious people who have been exiled. Who is this man, Ezekiel? Well, chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth year of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw the visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel, the priest. The priest. Ezekiel was a priest. Verse 1 tells us he was 30 years old. Now, the Levites, which Ezekiel was a priest of the tribe of Levi, the Levites would have begun their priestly ministry in the temple in Jerusalem at age 30. And he could have, had he been in Jerusalem, but he wasn't. He was taken away to Babylon with the captives into exile. God took this this man who, in his 30th year, probably all the years of training and planning to be a priest, now he's exiled far from Jerusalem and far from the temple. And God called him to be a prophet. Chapters 1 to 3 of the book of Ezekiel. God, God spoiled his planned career. Ruined Ezekiel's plans. I don't know that Ezekiel liked it. Sometimes God doesn't ask our permission. He calls us to serve not to be served. And tonight, I'd like us to learn from Ezekiel's calling in chapters 1 to 3. Now, we're not prophets, and the prophets received the word of God in revelation directly from God, Ezekiel in this vision. So it's different, but there are some truths that God would have us learn tonight, I believe. Number one, I'd like us to see, number one, the assurance of hearing from the throne room of heaven. The assurance of hearing from the throne room of heaven. It's very important that God's people hear from God. Now, chapter 1 is this amazing vision. It's it's uh, all leading up to the last verse, the last sentence. The vision is strange. It is, it's unusual. There's cherubim. Remember the picture of the cherubim with their, with their um, four wings? They're underneath the throne room. And above them, uh, of course, there's these wheels. Above them is a firmament. 
in verses 22 to 25, and above the firmament is the throne. And when you get to verse 26 to 28, it's all about the throne. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, And above the firmament that was over their heads, the cherubim's heads, was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone, a beautiful throne. And upon the likeness of the throne was um, was the likeness as the appearance of a man above it. Some, someone's on that beautiful throne. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins, even upward, and from the appearance of his loins, even downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And it had brightness round about, as, uh, we'll look at verse 28, as the appearance of the bow that's in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and here's the key. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now, this whole vision is very uh, cloudy to it, hard to, for us to understand. Over and over, you have the words likeness, likeness. It almost sounds like a modern day teen going like, uh, like, uh, like this, uh, like. Uh, but that's in this passage, the word like is to say. It was hard to describe. He even says the appearance of the likeness of. That all sounds so indirect. But the point is, it's all leading up to he saw God and he heard his voice. That's why chapter 2 begins, and he said unto me, as he is God speaking. Verse chapter 3, moreover he said unto me, you see God still speaking. You could go on and on. But I'd like us to see the assurance of hearing from the throne room of heaven. And underneath that, number one, Jehovah God is here, alive and well. Now, Jehovah God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. And you see, even in the vision, there's wheels. He's mobile. He's not just in Jerusalem. He's not just in the tabernacle. He's in Babylon, being seen and known by his man Ezekiel by the river Chebar. Now that's an encouragement. God had not abandoned his people, even though they're in exile. Ezekiel sees Jehovah is here, visual, alive and well. And we need to remember in America, God is alive and well. God wants to meet with his people. God wants his manifest presence to be known. And we need to meet with God. If we'll draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to us. God wants to speak. Jehovah is here, alive and well. Number two, underneath the first point, Jehovah is on the throne in heaven. This vision, vision was not just meant to scare Ezekiel or create fear, but to say the one on the, th the, one on the throne is speaking. He is on the throne. It's meant to encourage Ezekiel. You know, it's not enough to have a throne. It's good to see the one who sits upon it. Remember, in Babylon, God sits on the throne. Remember, in your troubles of your life and the situations, God is still on the throne in heaven. And we need to be told that the throne room of heaven is where all of our ministry is directed. You know, it's who we serve that keeps us sane. It's, this is practical. We need to get into our thinking, into our theology. God reigns in heaven. God is over all in Jerusalem and in Babylon. 
Nothing happens without God's knowledge. God is on the throne, and he still rules and reigns. You know what? In Nashville and in Cottontown, God has not died. God has not gone missing. Jehovah is here, alive and well. He's on the throne, and Jehovah God is still speaking. Now, that's the point of the whole chapter. It's all leading up to this. Chapter 1 is introducing the God who speaks, even to exiles in Babylon. Know how we need to hear from God. It was, one man was asked, If you were abandoned on a desert island, what book would you want? And he replied, I guess I would want Thomas's practical guide to shipbuilding. Well, that would be a practical book to have, but let me tell you, God has given us a book to hear from him, to know him, his plan, to hear his voice. The way to keep the king on the throne in front of us is to keep his word in front of us. John 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. Are you hearing from God on a regular basis? Is God directing your steps? It was, it was an encouraging text that I received this past week, kind of out of the blue. And I, uh, in our church, Tim Heading just sent a text to me, and um, he knows that Micaiah, um, our oldest son, has been uh, praying about some specific direction. And, and um, Tim just out of the blue sent a text that said, prayed for Micaiah today. And God brought these verses to mind. He just gave the references. I told him I would look them up. But Psalm 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What was Tim saying? He was saying, I'm praying that God will use his word to direct Micaiah's feet. Psalm 119, verse 133 says, Order my steps in thy word. What was he saying? Oh, that he might, his steps might be ordered in the word of God. Psalm 119, 133. You know that all of us, the king seeks an audience with us. What an assurance, an encouragement. Assurance of hearing from the throne room of heaven. I'd like us to see number two. Not just the assurance of hearing from the throne room of heaven, but the humility of standing before God. Now, God is in heaven and we on earth. What is man that he is mindful of us? And chapter 2, verse 1 begins, chapter 2 begins by saying, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet and I will speak unto thee. Notice God calls Ezekiel son of man. Does not call him a great man, strong man, or a mighty man. He calls him son of man. In Hebrew, that's ben, like um, the word ben is son or son of, and the word man is Adam. So it's ben Adam. Now, this is a reminder to remember who you are. Now, none of us are big shots. None of us are hot shots, and it's easy to forget that. Who are we? Well, I'm nothing but a sinner saved by grace. You know, I deserve to be in hell today because I've broken God's laws. I've, I've earned, I've merited, I should be in hell. But Jesus Christ died in my place, took my punishment. In Old Testament language and new, I've been justified, declared righteous by faith. The just shall live, not die, live by faith. Trusting in someone outside themselves, trusting in God, in Jesus, who died in our place. Now, God called his man Ezekiel, son of man. I would rather be called a child of God. But Ezekiel was called 
son of man. As in, he was told in Ezekiel chapter 2, uh, Son of man, stand upon thy feet. And I wanted to put, tell, remind us that there's a humility of standing before God. Now, I'm not a big fan of Martin Luther. Martin Luther would not have been a big fan of me. He did. He despised the Baptists. Uh, said, drown them all. But I do greatly appreciate his love for the doctrine of justification by faith. And he once uh, decried, could not stand the fact that the people who followed him, followed Luther, were calling themselves Lutherans. And he, they did this over his protests. And Luther responded to people who followed him, naming themselves after him by saying, Luther said, Who is this Luther? My teaching is not my own, and I have not been crucified for you. Why should it happen to me, the misering, stinking bag of maggots that I am, that the children of Christ should be called by my insignificant name? Now, I would not recommend that you follow Luther's example of calling yourself a miserable, stinking bag of maggots. But um, isn't it true? Remember who we are. We have no reason to strut. We're just the son of man. It was Salmon Chase, the Secretary of the Treasury under Abraham Lincoln, who was very talented. Chase was very well qualified, and he knew it. You ever met someone like that who was who was um, good at something, and they weren't afraid to tell you how good they were at that? Well, Chase was a governor, a senator, and became eventually the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And he wanted that top job, and he probably was well qualified for it. But he had a friend named Ben Wade. And Ben Wade said of Chase, Chase is a good man, but his theology is unsound. He thinks that he's the fourth person of the Trinity. Ooh, pretty rough. Uh, pretty. He must have been a close friend to be able to talk like that. Well, we would never think that highly of ourselves, but we might think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And we need to remember there's a humility of standing before God. Number three, not just the assurance, there's an assurance of hearing from the throne room and a humility of standing before God, but there's, number three, the answer to my ignorance before God. The answer to my ignorance before God. Now, I personalize this point and call that my ignorance. I mean me, Pastor Lang, the preacher. And I want to give a little testimony here tonight in the message. I'd like to share with you the verse that God used to call Pastor Lang into the ministry. And it's found in Ezekiel, in, in chapter 3. And it was the answer to my ignorance. Uh, because I frankly was concerned, Lord, how could I ever preach? How could I ever pastor? I wouldn't even know what to say. And Lord, what if, what if people get angry? What if they don't like the truth? What do you do? Well, the answer to my ignorance before God, I'd like you to see chapter 2, verse number 4 of Ezekiel. Chapter 2, verse 4, in the middle of the verse it says, I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Chapter 2, verse 7, And thou shalt speak my words unto them. Chapter 3, verse 4. When you look at chapter 3, verse 4, middle of the verse, Get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. 
middle of the verse, tell them, thus saith the Lord God. Are you getting kind of a, a theme here? You just tell them what I tell you. Tell them what I've said. You teach them, tell them, thus saith the Lord, what God says. And chapter 3, verse 27, was the answer to both questions that I had. It was, O Lord, I won't know what to say. And what if they do not respond well? Well, chapter 327, in one verse, God answered both of my excuses. But when I speak with thee, God said, I will open thy mouth. And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, He that heareth, let him hear. And he that forbeareth, let him forbear. Now, this greatly simplifies the ministry. And I'd like to speak to our young men going into ministry. Our young men who believe that God may be calling them into the ministry. Our young ladies who are praying about going into missions. And maybe you'll be teaching ladies Bible studies some days. Teaching new believer converts. Well, let me tell you, just teach the word of God. Doesn't this simplify the ministry? Stop clowning around and let's just... Just hack it down to what God says. Second Timothy, Paul said this in chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Pastor Lang, how does that work? Preaching the word. Well, chapter 3 of Ezekiel gives a good understanding of that. Will you turn to chapter 3 of Ezekiel? Chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Middle of the verse, it says, Eat this roll. It's talking about a scroll, a book, the Bible. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. Eat the Bible? That's right. Well, what does that mean? It means eat it, make it part of you. Assimilate it. Chew on it. Think upon it. Digest it. Make it who you are. What you say, the way you think, internalize it. How do you do that? You spend time with the book. You read the text and you reread the text and you plead with God, the author, to give you light. It's hard work. It's sweaty work. It's dogged work. But there's no other way. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. My, my excuse was, Lord, I can't do it. I don't know what to say. I don't know how they'll respond. And God answered and said, You preach what I tell you to preach. And if they hear, they hear. And if they forbear, let them forbear. Now, brothers and sisters in the Lord, studying, reading the Bible, as a child of God, is an expression of our love for the author of the book. So let's get in the Word. Let's make ourselves do it when we'd rather read fiction. Let's discipline ourselves to read it. Let's force ourselves when we'd rather sleep in. This is, this is a great blessing that the answer to my ignorance, what will I preach? Preach, thus saith the Lord. And that's what God told Ezekiel, his man, in Babylon. Fourth and finally, first of all, just to review, the assurance of hearing from the throne room of heaven, how assuring it is. And then the humility of standing before God. Number three, the answer to my ignorance before God. Number four, and finally, the trustworthiness of a straight-talking God. The trustworthiness 
of a straight-talking God. Don't you appreciate people who talk straight up to you? Who just tell you the truth? They don't hedge. They're straightforward. Well, that's the way God is. He's a God that can be trusted. He tells you the truth up front. In chapter 2, verse number 3, will you look at these verses? Chapter 2, verse 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel to a a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. If I heard that, I I would think, oh great, Lord, you're sending me to a a bunch of rebels. That's what God was doing for Ezekiel. Verse 4, for they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Verse 5, And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their look, their words. Uh-oh, you mean, Lord, you mean that they're going to cry, they're going to call me all kinds of words? They're going to use hard words? That's right, Ezekiel. Though though briars and thorns be with thee, you mean, Lord, I'm going to suffer? I mean, it's going to be a prickly, hard thing. I'm going to get poked and jabbed? That's right. And thou dwellest among scorpions. You mean I'm going to get stung? That's what the ministry is going to be like for you, Ezekiel. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks. You ever had someone look at you with a way that could kill? Though they be a rebellious house, verse 7, and thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. Wow. Chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. Ezekiel, your invitations, the altars will be empty. People will not respond. But you know why they won't? They will not hearken unto thee. For they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. None of us have it as hard as Ezekiel had it. Your work is not as Ezekiel as, as hard as Ezekiel's work was, was. But I'm telling you, God is good to be so honest. It is wonderful to have a God that tells us the truth up front. Now, He may tell you what you don't want to hear, but God always tells us what we need to hear. And it's best to hear the truth. Isn't God kind to tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 1 Peter 4.14 If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Do you want the spirit of glory and of God to rest upon you? You know, there is joy in in living for Jesus, even if reproach comes upon you for for the name of Christ. God is good. I'm telling you, a God who is that straightforward tells you that it it won't be easy at times. He's a God you can trust. Can we, I'd like to um, tell you about my truck. I have a 2000 F-150 truck, and it doesn't look like much. But let's just for a moment pretend that you'd like to buy my truck. Uh, it's not for sale, by the way, but let's just, if you wanted to buy my truck, uh, not that you would want to. But if you wanted to buy it, I would feel um, bound to tell you certain things about that truck. Um, you really want that truck, huh? Well, um, 
just to be honest with you, the acceleration pedal doesn't always work. Uh, there's times when you press it, and there's not, and there's really just not a whole lot of power there. Um, and you, you want to avoid using the CD player because that only scratches CDs; it doesn't play them. So you you want to save your CDs for some other time. Um, and it, it it works pretty well most of the time, but sometimes the truck, when you're driving down the road, the whole front end starts shaking. And um, if you don't pull over and turn it off and then back on, it'll die on you. That's okay. It doesn't happen too often. Just, you know, maybe two or three times on your way to Walmart. The check engine light is on, but I would I would just tell you that's okay. That's just emissions. Um, doesn't hurt anybody. Maybe some folks down at the Environmental Protection Agency. You know, there's a little red paint I would just show you on the bumper, on that uh, little red paint on the chrome bumper. That's where I... Well, that's where I backed my red van into my truck one time um, on the way to church. My wife leaned over to me afterwards and said, that's not going to help you preach this morning. Yeah, she's right. It, it didn't. Um, also, there's not a jack. It's missing a jack in the truck. And by this point, you may be thinking, what on earth would I want to buy the truck for? I don't know why you'd want to buy it. Um, but maybe after I tell you all that, you'd say, you know what? I think I can trust that guy because he's telling me everything that's wrong with it. Well, no, I haven't told you everything that's wrong with it yet. There's more I could tell you about it. But that's the point. Isn't God kind? He tells us everything we're going to meet that we're getting into up front. He says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. When God talks like that, I'm telling you, that kind of God you can trust. You can rely upon Him. He's not hiding anything from you. And He tells you, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He will be with you in Jerusalem. He will be with you in Babylon. And it's assuring to hear from Him. He tells you the truth. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Uh, I love the word establish. There's no E on the front of it. Establish is from without. Establish without the E is from within. God is working within us, settling within us, bringing us into conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. You know, God, a God like this who tells us, after you've suffered a while, God is working, God is perfecting you, He's trying your faith. I'm telling you that the contemporary worldly church culture tells preachers like me that if we just have a vision statement, a better vision statement, if we have a good church strategy, you know, if... If we have a coffee shop in the back and maybe a McDonald's too. Maybe if we add some strobe lights and maybe if your pastor wears skinny jeans. Maybe if I use the word missional a lot. If I read all the, all the blogs, then I'll be successful as a preacher in the ministry. Well, let's have a shot of honesty. Cease from man whose breath is in his nostrils. And let's, let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's live for God, not for our pleasure, but for the pleasure of God. Not for earthly success, but for God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, at age 62, Adoniram Judson died. 
He'd spent 38 years in Burma. And although he waited six years for his first convert, after his death, a government survey recorded that there were 210,000 Christians in Burma. One out of every 58 Burmese people were saved. Let me ask you, will it be worth it all when we see Jesus? Isn't that a monument to the Spirit of God and the power of God working through a man of God who'd heard from God and answered God's call? Adoniram Judson was right. When he went to Burma, and he's looked up at that pagan temple of idolatry, and he said, the day's going to come when the chanting devotees of Burma have been replaced with the Christian hymns of praise. And God did a great work. And I'm telling you that you and I have not been called to the same troubles that Adoniram Judson faced or that Ezekiel faced. But the truth is we have got to hear from the throne room of heaven. And it is assurance. It is assuring to hear from God and remember, to remember that Jehovah God is here. He is alive and well in White House, Tennessee. He is ever present in Jerusalem and in Babylon. God is still on the throne. I don't know what's going on in your life, but God is not caught off guard. He is still on the throne. I don't know what's coming up in your life this week, but God is still on the throne and God is still speaking. I'm telling you, there is nothing more practical than that you follow his word hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Are you hearing from God on a daily basis? Beyond that, are the decisions of your life being made according to the word of God? Order my steps in thy word. Second, the humility of standing before God. Who are we to hear from God? But he speaks. He seeks audience with you, child of God. And then third, the answer to our ignorance. You say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Speak what God tells you to speak. Listen to God and pass on the truth. And I'm telling you, number four, a straight-talking God, like the God of the Bible, can be trusted. Whatever you're going through, God can be trusted. Will you trust Him this week? I call upon you now. If you're saved, and God has spoken to you, and you want to hear from the throne room of heaven, you say, oh God, I must have assurance from you on a certain matter in my life. I have a decision, oh God. I believe you're present. I believe you're on the throne. And I believe you're speaking. Oh God, I need you to speak to me and give me clarity on a specific decision. I want you to go to God now. Just bow your head where you are. Whether you're listening um, here, here, whether you're at home, wherever you are listening by internet, if God has spoken to you and there's a decision to be made and you're seeking God's word and clarity, won't you call out to God in the quietness and say, Oh God, order my steps in thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Lord, give me light. I want my decisions to be guided by you. Maybe you'd say, Oh Lord, you've humbled me. I'm not a big shot. Lord, I'm nothing before you, but will you speak to me? Maybe you'd say, I don't know what to do. 
God can give you direction. And God is worth trusting. He's straightforward. He's a straight talker. If you'll listen, he'll speak to you. Last of all, maybe you're lost, you're not saved, and God has spoken to you this morning, and you'd say, oh, to have such a God as my Savior, that I could go to God, and he'd speak to me and teach me and lead me in the way that I ought to go. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ died for you. Where, whatever you've done in the past, wherever you've been, God still loves you. Jesus still died for you. And if you will take Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation and trust in him alone, not in yourself, not in your goodness, not in your record, but trust in Jesus that he died in your place for your sins, he'll save you now. Won't you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to save you, trusting only in him? Father in heaven, I thank you so much that in Ezekiel's call, we see that you still speak and you can be trusted. Won't you speak to your people through the word of God today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.